They're coming to get you, Barbara. You're still afraid. Stop it! You're ignorant! Hello, and welcome to Night of the Living Academic. I'm Caitlin, and I always welcome all horror movies into my heart with open arms, even the misfit ones. And this is your co-host, Nat, and I have a thing called Standards. <laughs> and today we're going to be talking about the, the 2019 film, The Beach House, written and directed by Jeffrey A. Brown. Um, it was just released on Shudder two days ago at this point, as oh, of recording. Okay. Yeah, so we're right, we're, we're right on top of it. Um, yeah, but I guess before we get into The Beach House, I feel like we should probably explain ourselves a little yeah, bit. Yeah, we're back. We're back. <laughs> you know what's funny? We've had more time than ever <laughs> to be doing this podcast in this pandemic environment, um, but I guess we just haven't. Mm-hmm. Well, here's my excuse. My okay, personal let's... excuse is because of the pandemic, because we're both working from home, we spend all day at the computer, and then the last thing I really want to do, honestly, as much as I enjoy podcasting with you and discussing horror films with you, the last thing I want to do is sit in front of a computer mm. during our time off. Um, but doing it right now, it's not as bad as I thought yeah. it would be. You know what? I think we've established a schedule. Mm-hmm. And don't worry, listeners or fans out there, this is not going to be popping up and then taking another three-month break or whatever we did. Mm-hmm. We are back into this. In fact, uh, spoiler alert, we got another episode right lined up <laughs> right after this, yep. too. With an um, exciting guest. Yeah, with a, a very exciting guest. Yes. And so we are back into it. Um, we will be releasing on a regular schedule um, now that we've identified what works for us in mm-hmm. this pandemic environment. So I'm very excited to be back. Uh, I love talking about these movies, and I love you know being part of this podcast. Yeah. So much so that we actually started a second <laughs> podcast, 23% um, Fresh, a Happy Madison's production podcast. Mm-hmm. Just very quickly, this is where we talk about Happy Madison movies. Of course, those are movies from Adam Sandler's production company, not known for being the best rated movies uh however but a little unfairly love. we think yeah uh, part of our podcast is is saying like okay these aren't perfect films in fact sometimes they're a bit problematic and yeah. offensive but there's things to enjoy here and and you know in general it seems like people rate and review adam sandler movies just to be rude i yeah. guess yeah, it's definitely the punching bag. You yeah. use that term of the film industry, and we just want to uh, be a little bit contrarian to that fact. Mm-hmm. Honestly, too, unironically. And have fun. Yeah. So um, yeah. if you need a break from the horror movies or want to watch some comedies and have us chat about that, please follow along for that. We'll yeah. make sure to give some of that info as well. But also throughout this time, it's not like we've stopped watching horror movies. So we're not going to review everything, obviously, that Mm. we have watched in between, but I do want to highlight some of these really stellar movies that I think it's worth highlighting that probably would have been uh, episodes had we been doing them throughout (laughs) this. And maybe someday in the future, we will come back and, and, and discuss them here. So I want to start first by mentioning a movie that really stuck with me. And it's really up my alley between somewhat art house and, and horror. And that's Phantom of the Paradise. I knew it. I really love that movie. I like it's a perfect mixture for me. 
I think it's completely, completely under, not underrated, but like unknown. I feel like people don't talk about it. It's a Brian yeah. De Palma movie as well. Well, it's known. It's definitely got a cult following, yeah. I think. So it's known. Anyone who knows it knows it, I yeah. guess, and loves it. Um, but yeah, it's not very like, it's not like Rocky Horror, I guess. Right. Rocky Horror is also a, a very culty film with its own special following. But I feel like mainstream or like people who are more invested in mainstream culture will still know at least know of rocky horror right where people won't know about phantom of the paradise right in fact for me i'm surprised it took me this long uh to finally watch phantom of the paradise i was in a rocky horror shadow cast uh Mm -hmm. for some of my college years and a little bit after college um, and I remember people recommending Phantom of the Paradise to me, but I was so... The way they would recommend it is, this is the better musical yeah. cult horror film. It's better than Rocky Horror. You won't even like Rocky Horror <laughs> once you watch this. So it made me feel like Defensive. I will never watch yeah. Phantom of the Paradise. And now I'm mad I, I didn't, because it is amazing. Like, I think it's amazing. I think it's... I do think it's a better made movie than Rocky Horror. Mm-hmm. Um because it lacks kind of that the cult quality, the midnight showing qualities sure. of Rocky R. Because um, it doesn't take itself seriously, but it is like a more serious endeavor from a qualified, well, not, not qualified, but mm-hmm. from a, you know, a, str- yeah. a stronger director and in I, my opinion. And I think too, the, di- the big difference, at this point, you can't really, well, at any point, you can't just sit at home and watch Rocky Horror. It's, it's right. a movie you have to watch with a group or even better yet, at a midnight screening, you don't get the same enjoyment just watching it like with a cup of tea at home. But Fans of the Paradise, you can watch it in, in really any setting and yeah. it just holds up on its Absolutely. own. Absolutely. I think it's just a really strong movie and people should be watching it. Mm-hmm. So highly encourage people to check that out. The next movie I wanted to just give a quick shout out to um, was more of a having to check it off the horror list for you more than me. But we finally watched Cannibal Holocaust. Right, right, right. Yeah. yeah. So thanks to uh, Joe Bob, I thank, guess. Yeah, thanks to <laughs> Joe Bob. It it uh, it played on Joe Bob. The only thing I, I really wanted to mention with that is beyond the um, the deserved nor- notoriety that it got and controversy it got, yeah. and it, it is and controversial. I, I closed my eyes during anything yeah. with animals, so anything I say that's positive about this movie, just know that I couldn't watch <laughs> the entire film because I refused to watch those scenes. Yeah, but beyond all that, it is a good movie. Mm-hmm. It is a well-made, well-crafted film. Um, I yeah. think it did some really fun and innovative things at the time with the narrative. Like, it, it was a found footage film before even anybody thought of that term like right. decades before that term so yeah it took a while to get into the found footage thing but i guess that's because this is sort of the proto found footage i i'm also amazed we well it's been like at least a month since we watched it right right yeah it's maybe been even more it's still in my head i'm still thinking about it i still really enjoy i don't want to say enjoyed right. but i really i i liked it a lot I, um, I understand totally how yeah. it's important in the canon. Yes. And it's not, it's exploitive, but not in like, 
for the sake of being exploitive. I mean, it's hard to say because that's the point of exploitive films. Mm -hmm. But it had some meaning and cultural impact beyond the controversy, in my opinion. I think so. And it's it's interesting now. I mean, this is a a lesser reason to enjoy it, but... Mm -hmm. As a big Eli Roth fan, Green Inferno now makes a lot more sense to right. me, and I see better what he was doing. Um, yeah, I, I don't know. I just really liked it. Yeah. So I wonder if we're going to dive more into other Italian hot, uh, cannibal films, which yeah. apparently is a genre on its own. I would definitely watch more of this. Yeah. And then finally, the last film I do want to just give a quick mention. Again, it's another Joe Bob film. And this was straight fun. Uh, one cut from the dead. One cut of the dead. I, I'm not quite sure. I think of the dead. Uh, one cut of the dead. Really, we can't talk about it. No. A- and yes, people say that, but truly don't look up anything about mm-hmm. it. Just watch it. Just a good, good time. Yeah. Fun film. Fun film. Yeah. Not like worth trying to say how good it is objectively in quality. Just... It's just like pure enjoyment, yeah. I think. But it is also really well done. It's not mindless. It's it's fun and good in a pretty smart way. Yeah. And actually, I want to bring up one other sure. film that we watched because Matt finally got to watch uh, the movie that this podcast is named after. Oh. George <laughs> Romero's Night of the Living Dead. Yeah. I had good opinions about it. Mm-hmm. I, I'm not sure why those first couple of times I never made it past the first 10 minutes, I feel like. Um that's embarrassing that I didn't watch it until now. But eh, it's fine. I think yeah. I think that's an potentially easy one to miss if you're not like a, a horror fan or because when else? Because I think of all the early sort of cornerstones of modern horror, yep. like there's Psycho, there's Halloween, I, and Night of the Living Dead. But I feel like Night of the Living Dead is often eh, sort of ignored or pushed aside i guess unless mm-hmm. you're within this fandom mm-hmm. i don't know well you know i think it absolutely deserves the uh you know being a cornerstone mm-hmm. i think it's you know more than competently made ahead of its time certainly mm-hmm. and pretty fun to watch too i'm glad i watched it i had nothing but good things to say it's not my favorite thing in the world i don't think it's mind-blowing or anything oh my god disagree but- disagree and i think it was fun to watch well not fun maybe but uh interesting to watch yeah. in the midst of the, pandemic. of the pandemic and being stuck inside a house um yeah well again respect this importance is not in my personal canon is all fair enough fair enough but i think it's oh i'm actually gonna bring up night of the living dead as we talk about the beach house because yep. i think that i definitely see some influences there and also, final thing uh, I have to say about watching movies in the pandemic, I think watching movies like Night of the Living Dead has now become a much different experience for me because prior to this, prior to COVID, any movie with some sort of mysterious thing happening and the government doesn't know how to deal with it and uh, everyone's giving different advice I used to watch those movies and just be like, oh, the 60s. Yeah. Oh, what a time when no one understood science <laughs> and the Cold War. So paranoia. <laughs> and now watching Night of the Living Dead, I was pretty struck by how real the response was mm-hmm. and how real it was to for them to turn on the radio and the TV and get different uh, advice from the government themselves and seeing the government not knowing what to do and sort mm-hmm. of ignoring the scientists. It was, I, I'm struck by how realistic Romero made that film. 
um, in a way that I never felt prior to that moment. It's, got, it's even got a proto-boomer <laughs> making yes, bad does. decisions. Yes, uh, Mr. Cooper. Mr. Cooper. Stay Although, in the basement, you if, jerk. If he had stayed in the basement, everything would have been fine. But that's <gasps> but not, not the really. point. That's not the point. I oh, refuse I to give Mr. Cooper that. Okay. Um, so, like you said, though, this is a good tie-in to Beach House. So, mm-hmm. should I just jump right into the synopsis? Yeah, you give good? us the synopsis. Okay, yeah. So Beach House, just as a reminder, it's a 2019 directorial debut from Jeffrey Brown. Before then, he had a couple short films, and he definitely seemed to be an industry player, um, just more on the production side of things. I'm not exactly sure what, but not as director. Yeah, so Beach House is largely focused around Emily, a soon-to-be college graduate who joins her boyfriend, Randall, for an off-season vacation at Randall's family's beach house. Kind of throughout this, there's like... Some like uh, unspoken latent sadness as Rando deals with um, what I would be describing as a quarter life crisis, but kind of <laughs> looping in Emily into that. Mm-hmm. But anyways, while they're there, they're surprised to encounter a um, th- that they'll be cohabitating this beach house with an older couple that's friends with Rando's father, um, just as a miscommunication, and that'd be Jane and Mitch. Um, Jane is kind of suffering from cancer and is implied she's at the late stages of cancer and Mitch is, you know, there supporting her. They're largely friendly and yeah, as open-minded as, you know, a movie would give boomers <laughs> that, that sure. they could deserve. And basically everything's fine, uh, again, with this latent sadness and, and some underlying issues between the couples not the couples themselves but amongst the couples uh unto a mysterious ecological infection comes to creep into this town and it begins to wreak havoc on these uh, vacationers along with the town itself so yeah and again too it sounds pretty simplistic but there is metaphors going on Mm -hmm. based on what these couples are going on in their lives previous to the infection yeah okay so, Kaylin, do you want to give your two-minute quick review of this? Sure. So, overall, I really liked this movie. Mainly, I think I'm going to get into a few specifics here in my quick two-minute review. Um, but just broadly, like, my broad stroke reason for loving this movie is because it it pulls and it builds on the horror tradition. I think there's a lot of influences in here specifically, like I said before, George Romero. I also saw a bit of Carpenter in here. And, you know, a lot of people have been talking about this movie as sort of a Lovecraftian horror film. Mm-hmm. So I see how it's building on the shoulders of, of these classics, these former masters of horror. But what it does that makes it super exciting is that I, the whole movie, I had no idea where exactly it was going and it did something completely different. So for example, thinking about this as a Lovecraftian horror movie, yes, that's true, but it doesn't give us, like the whole time I was waiting for tentacles, but it didn't, Mm -hmm. it didn't do a big scary tentacled monster. It took the Lovecraft thing in a different direction, which is, you know, still in Lovecraft stories. Not every Lovecraft story has a tentacle monster, but it's just, it's just something very different and maybe not as played out as, as other elements of cosmic horror, weird fiction, Lovecraftian horror, what all of those terms mean. It took it in a completely new direction, I thought. Um, and I, I, again, I never knew where exactly they were going with, uh, what they were presenting Mm. us in this movie. Um, so I really liked that. 
The body horror elements of this movie were horrifying. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Body horror in general tends to freak me out. This did an excellent job with that. Mm. In particular, I'm sure we're going to talk about that scene. Mm -hmm. Um, So I'm just going to call it for now that scene. Mm. It was one of the grossest things I think I've ever seen. Number one for me. saying something. Of all time. Yeah. I can't think of anything worse (laughs) than what I was made to bear witness. I was completely... uh, crunched into myself i guess while that that scene happened i liked how it played with tone a bit in this movie um and and colors the colors changed as the tone changed i liked that um and i oh uh two last things finally got to see another graduate student in a horror film and i think her her interest in graduate studies was a big part of the Mm. horror itself and the plot Last summer, I requested, after we saw Midsummer, I requested more graduate student horror. <laughs> so I would like to just say thank you uh, to Jeffrey Brown for fulfilling that. Uh, again, more graduate student horror, please. And also, I think it was... it. This is, again, like uh, Night of the Living Dead, a really, I'll say, interesting rather than fun watch in the midst of a pandemic in particular, uh, the sort of summer, sunny um, aesthetic of this film mixed with this fear of something in the air, something dangerous and threatening in the air is very familiar to being in the midst of a pandemic right in the middle of the summer when we should be out and having fun, but instead it's, it's, like, a, it's like a horror film. So yeah, overall, I really enjoyed it. Cool. So... I largely don't disagree with anything. I well, we will talk about this. Why well, we'll talk about whether it is supposed to be like a nice summer out because I'm I'm not sure if that was the case. Mm. But otherwise, I thought it was a very competent ecological horror. And you know, I'm actually stealing that term yeah. hearing you talk about it. I'm not exactly sure if I know what I'm yes. talking about. But I think one of the strongest suits is the ability that the movie's ability to create this really languid and morose an atmospheric vibe and it was a really nice contrast to watching our previous episode color out of space because it still has that like you said lovecraftian Mm -hmm. direction but it doesn't go like buck wild it doesn't go crazy and throughout it it's just this low flame of dread that i really liked um and even when things started to go awry and crazy it was still calm yes i felt and that that was something that I thought was a really fresh take on it, and, and I really like, you know. And throughout this, it's punctuated by some mere moments of pure horror. <laughs> yes. Um, but even then, it wasn't like in your face, like look at this. No. It was just like maybe because everything felt so natural mm-hmm. and naturalistic and real. That's what made it far more impactful than anything else. But um, yeah, I, I really, really would like to give the movie credit for kind of creating this. Like again, uh, low flame of dread is what I would call it. Mm. And the acting was strong, mm-hmm. I thought, overall. And again, I, I really like this this really natural dialogue that happens. No one's over the top or anything. However, I do feel like the character development and some of the metaphors it was building on was a little weak. Um, aside from 
one of the main ones that has to do with this the graduate student mm-hmm. uh emily the, the other things that the movie kind of proposes and some of the other issues that they're going through felt kind of largely abandoned or at least a little confused at the end to me and and maybe it's me not really spending enough time really trying to flesh that out yeah in my own headspace of, of what they were going for again this isn't an issue where if it's not doesn't have to be immediately obvious but it can't be so tenuous that i need to like sit down and write out an essay to sure. to make those connections well um, we'll talk about that yeah we'll talk about that and and in the past i've been proven wrong that i should you know maybe things are more evident than it seems i i do think overall though that that those themes are weaker in general than i would have liked it to be again except for the main one which i really do like and Mm -hmm. i really liked how this main one with her and we'll talk about it more but it really pulled the movie together and and really made this like uh, a metaphorical pretty pretty positive vibes again it's that low flame of dread punctuated by pure moments of horror Mm -hmm. the movie's ability to create this environment yeah and okay i really like that and i really like your idea of this, what did you say? Like a slow flame of dread? Just a low... Like a I'm, low I'm literally flame. thinking uh, in terms yeah. of cooking. Yeah. Like I you, like that. Yeah, you're putting things on a simmer. And I think if we can talk about this first before we yeah. dive into like the d- deeper stuff into the deep end of the beach, I guess. Um, this idea of like the slow burn and how even when things start getting weird and we get these hints like... I mean, even the fact that they go out to this, this couple, this like college-aged couple, goes out to this beach house, and because the boyfriend, uh, Randall, stupidly didn't tell his dad that he was coming to the beach house that right. weekend, uh, the dad also let this older boomer couple stay there. So it's already sort of dreadful in a different way. Yeah. Um, because, yeah, it's already sort of awkward and tense. Yeah, in- anybody with like minor social anxiety <laughs> would yeah, be like... Yeah, it's already uncomfortable. Dreadful. Um, and then, and then we see, like, Emily sees that little piece of, like, fish or an organism on the floor when she goes out to smoke really early on. Mm-hmm. Um, Mitch, one of the, the boomer couple, he comments that the water is soft. Yeah. So there's all these weird hints happening. And then that night they see, like, the, the things from the water illuminating in the trees and in the in the right. air. It's sort of like those deep sea fishes that sort of glow in the dark, right. I guess. Right. So there's all these weird things, dreadful things happening, I guess we could say. Like we don't know why to dread them, but they're they're weird. They're they're they shouldn't be there. Mm-hmm. Um, but what this this foursome does is they drink a ton of wine and smoke some weed or they eat edibles. Mm-hmm. They have a chocolate bar um, full of weed in it. And they just play records and hang out and philosophize. And it's just so... I thought this was done really well. And this is something that reminds me a little bit of Romero. And probably a lot of other directors too that I'm not thinking of right now. But this presentation of something so unworldly, unthinkable. um, Happening to a group of normal people. And them reacting in such a realistic way that i see now in the midst of covid right. which is like that's horrible what's happening out there but i can't handle that yeah um or even like i don't i can't conceive that that's as dangerous as it probably is so right. we have to keep on living so let's just right. drink wine and have some edibles indoors let's you know make sure the doors are closed mm-hmm. 
Um, and I thought this movie did a good job, and I think that's why it's the slow burn of dread constantly, which is what this whole pandemic has sort of felt like. You know, we're, we feel this dread of the pandemic, but we're still, like, posting Living, on Twitter yeah. and watching movies and recording podcasts. Yeah. I mean, and uh, everything you were saying, but even to go a little further, yeah. at some points in the movie, like... The characters, well, at least one of the characters believe this, what she should be afraid of is beautiful and yeah. subjects herself to it yes. pretty much. Yeah. So, yeah. And and I also want to add that before that, too, like the movie does a good job, a lot like Midsummer, mm-hmm. where it's got this backdrop of this relationship yes. issue mm-hmm. that's not even front and center. They never, ever, the movie says like, well, we're having problems in our relation emily and uh the the dude, randall randall um i mean uh, they do kind of state it at one point but it's not obvious why right. and on the surface it seems fine but i don't know if it's just the actress or just the atmosphere being conducive to it but it never seems like emily is mm-hmm. happy yeah right. i think we see they allow us to see the symptoms of of this relationship problem or like this relationship sort of fraying out, Mm -hmm. which I really like because I thought that added to the realism of the whole movie that we're just seeing the symptoms. They're not really telling us. They're not like laying it out there for us. Right. So that that like immediately adds to the dread. Mm -hmm. And I will almost say, you know what? I'm going to say it. I don't don't know why I have to be embarrassed to say it. I like that dread (laughs) more I like the first half of the movie more than the second half of the Interesting. movie. Interesting. I like it. So by by the uh, second half, I say the second act is kind of them succumbing to the uh, ecological contagion, mm-hmm. which is, we should probably describe it. It basically makes people sick. Uh, and then, well, I'm not quite sure. I'm curious to see how you yeah. interpret it, that they basically get infected and start to evolve into um, a whole different creature. Yeah. Um, something that, I don't know if they have sentience or not. I would say yes, there is some sort of sentience, but no longer human. Right. Uh, I think yeah, that's Yeah, some that's sort kind of new life form. Yeah. Uh, but the, the procedure to go on and to go that is not painless. It's <laughs> obviously quite painful, it seems. Or, yeah. And, and, you know, horrifying. Um, so... Yeah, the second half, it begins, and they're just kind of trying to escape that um, throughout the town, and then, you know, slowly succumb to it. So, but I liked liked the dread coming from the relationship problems and the social anxiety. (laughs) I thought it was more effective, partially because... I noticed this. uh, A lot of non-diegetic... the film was largely non-diegetic. Wait, am I getting that backwards? The, there was no soundtrack or... Uh, oh, so it's mainly diegetic. Ma- ma- mainly diegetic. I'm pretty sure. Yeah. Ugh. It's only like the discussion, the sound of the background, and that's it. Yeah. Um, but then the second half does start to introduce like the soundtrack or, or these, you know, mm-hmm. dread adding to the dread through yeah. uh, non diegetic sounds yes and more artistic use of like coloring and and yeah right right so i don't know it was weird but the first half of the movie could have just been like a noah Baumbach mumblecore (laughs) i I don't uh, know drama because there were still like the hints were there and i guess going into it it's sort of unfair right because we knew we were going into a horror film yeah 
So I wonder what my, like, if I still would have liked this movie, <laughs> if I hadn't known it would eventually mm-hmm. turn horror. Um, that's because true. Because I might have been like, oh, this is just one of these boring movies you like that's just about a random <laughs> couple in a beach house. Um, but I still think they gave us little cl- hints and little clues, even at the beginning, that don't worry, mm-hmm. this will be a bit of cosmic for horror sure, for, for you. For sure, for sure. So, so let me get into where the movie does it doesn't fall apart, right? Mm-hmm. I'm not you know, Let's make it clear that I don't think this movie failed in any mm-hmm. part, but it just disappointed me a little bit that the setup of this relationship, this fractured relationship, there's no payoff to it. It doesn't follow through at the end. In fact, like I don't know, she Emily is certainly the protagonist. Right. Randall is not the antagonist, but you get the sense that he's not. He's dragging her down. Yeah, he's dragging her down for sure. Mm-hmm. He's dragging her down with his own bullshit that, yeah. like, you know, I don't think we're supposed to be against him. No. Yeah, because uh, he he's not bad for it. Yeah. He's not a bad person for it. It's a yeah. quarter life crisis. Yeah. But he is dragging her down. Mm-hmm. But then, like, they don't reconcile that throughout the movie. And he ends up, she ends up, like, helping him. Right. But it's not even a metaphor of him dragging her down necessarily either and then there are times where i don't know they make her it makes it seem like she's like weaker than she is i don't know like it just doesn't it feels like they're not consistent with what they're going for and i know an argument can be made it's like well this is just you know a person and mm-hmm. we're not supposed to fall <laughs> into any kind of category of sure. a, a persona or whatever she's she's not supposed to act the way you think she's supposed to act sure but at the same time, I just felt like it was still pretty inconsistent for, you know, the first half of the movie where she's performing self-surgery and the second half of the movie where she's kind of like, you know, feeling useless and, and kind of collapsing and not not having any agency in some ways. Hmm. See, I feel like she always had agency throughout the entire movie. Uh, there, there are times where, like, I, I don't know, I felt like she wanted him to save her. Yeah, I mean, maybe, especially, uh, and I think that connects to the beginning a little bit, the fact that she did go to the beach house with him, and the fact, too, when he says, you know, why are you going to grad school, why not just live in this beach house with me, and she doesn't necessarily shoot that down, right? Mm-hmm. She still is trying to keep him happy, or or at least try to not get into an argument in that moment, so I think she is sort of not desperate for for their relationship to work but but at least i don't know she yeah, wants so, it to work and she's willing to put her own goals at least sort of aside for now but, but it's she's one still thing. planning to go to grad school she right. never stops planning right no i i believe that but like mm-hmm. it changes enough where it's almost like she becomes dependent on him I got that sense in the second half, even though he's like at this point sick, sickly, sure. and definitely not somebody she she can depend on. But it just I don't know. I just didn't feel like that relationship hmm. went anywhere. See, I just saw that as as like an expression that she really did love him, and she was willing to to take care of him even after he's he started this transformation or he got infected or whatever and i think it's meant to parallel the boomer couple with the with mitch the husband and then i forget the wife's name jane jane who has cancer and 
Mitch, I wrote this down. Mitch says to Emily earlier on the film, quote, when you see someone change in front of you and you know there's no going back, scares me to death. Mm-hmm. And he seems to be like very, very unhappy with the fact that uh, Jane, mm-hmm. Jane is going through cancer. I mean, obviously. Right. And that she she's going to die and he's trying to just make her happy for these last few moments. But he... Once she turns into whatever this new life form is, because she's the first one to get infected, Mm -hmm. he gives himself up to the ocean pretty quickly. Mm -hmm. So, I don't know. He's not necessarily a bad guy either, and he's also not necessarily doing the wrong thing. But I think because of this conversation that Emily has with with Mitch, I think it informs the way that she behaves once Randall starts changing in front of her eyes. I think... That she loves him enough to try to keep him calm and and keep him safe and take care of him, at least in these final moments. Because I think she knows enough about what's going on around her and about science in general to know that, like, you know, he's going to die any second. And yet she still is there to comfort him. And that's why I still felt like it was a very strong moment for her. Because she never panics. She never says like listen randall i'm leaving you behind your dead weight she continues to carry him along mm-hmm. um and again i think that also parallels with him dragging her down a little bit because i think it's it's i don't know i don't know exactly what the movie's saying here but well i think i think ultimately whether or not we agree or not i yeah. think that's part of the problem I'm getting sure. that is we're not clearly finding what the movie's trying to say about their relationship sure. yeah and it is because I think they start pretty clearly building up towards something and then towards the end kind of tapering off and following a more traditional mm. zombie movie. Yeah. Because it becomes Final very girl. much a zombie movie. Yeah. Uh, the second half, at least. Mm. Yeah. So, and I think that's uh, not pro- not problematic, but could have could have put this over the edge as a, uh, a great movie. Sure. Rather than just a pretty strong, good movie. Mm-hmm. That you know, I still absolutely encourage anybody to watch. So w- one thing though that I do want to mention in favor of the movie, I really, really like the her whole graduate thesis yes. or, or not graduate thesis, but what she wants to get into yeah. ties very well. And yes, it's a little <laughs> on the nose, but at the same time, like mm-hmm. I, you know, I think that provides this really good backdrop. Right. Like, you could think of it as being on the nose, or you could think of it as, this is why we're following this particular yep. person. That's exactly what I was going to yeah. say. That's why we're following her rather than any of the neighbors, I guess. Right, because she has this viewpoint. Mm-hmm. And this is the viewpoint where, you know, she wants to get into, I forget what the exact discipline is called. Astrobiology. Astrobiology, which I believe it's the correct term. I mean, I don't know, but I believe the movie is using the correct term. Yeah. I'm surprised that this is what that means. Mm-hmm. But it's the idea that... Um, you know, looking at those deep sea vents mm-hmm. and how micro microbacterial things can create life yep. and ev- you know, kind of be the catalyst towards evolution. I have her quote here, which I thought was important. Quote: "Organisms can adapt to extreme environments," um, and she's talking about under the sea. Um, I'm in awe of it. Unquote. Yeah. <laughs> so, essentially, what she wants to study is what's going on around her just not localized to these deep sea vents right uh but actually in this uh just this beach town that she's going through Mm -hmm. so it's a yes it is a little obvious but i thought it was 
still a nice way to button up everything and you know put a put a strong theme in that especially towards the end where she literally does succumb to this contagion mm-hmm. but unlike you know we see her at the very last moment saying to herself whether it's um some sort of fever dream like it doesn't matter like right. i don't know what it is but she's telling herself like don't be scared don't be scared mm-hmm. implying that she's embracing this evolution mm-hmm. and she's not scared and you know this is what she's studying this is the next step in evolution and not this is not something to reject necessarily mm-hmm. and fight against yeah so you know i i, I like that yeah, I liked that too. I I interpreted that ending a little bit differently, no. actually. And throughout the movie, by the way, there's this line of don't be scared. Because Randall mm. says it to her first when she says she wants to go to grad school. He says, move into the beach house with me. Don't be scared. Mm-hmm. Um, and then she says it to him at one point when he's saying, like, just give up on me. And she says, don't be scared so, at some moment like that. And then at the end that you bring up, don't be scared, don't be scared. And then we see the ocean cover her, and then she's just gone. Uh-huh. See, so I was interpreting that mainly the same way, that she's accepted because of all that she knows. She knows how that organisms can adapt to extreme environments. And it also connects to what she was saying when she was stoned to Jane about the beginning of life. Because mm-hmm. um, Jane asks, what was what did the earth look like before before life or something like that and it does sound like a real stoner conversation mm-hmm. but i think it's important for the plot and or at least what the what um what jeffrey brown's getting at here um and her answer is something like chaos heat uh instability she says something like that and that's sort of what winds up happening so everything that she wanted to study uh-huh. has come to fruition and she's got a front row seat to exactly what she wanted to see exactly why she says earlier that she wanted to take scuba diving lessons so that she could go into these um unstable environments that still exist at the bottom of the ocean and now she doesn't even have to do that it's brought right to her so she gets this front row seat and so at the end when she gets infected and she knows she's infected i think it it wasn't just a fever dream Mm. i think she crawled or walked or hobbled her way back to the ocean Mm -hmm. because she saw mitch do the same thing earlier the boomer guy Mm -hmm. he once he got infected he just walked into the ocean and let the ocean take him and i think she's doing the same thing and she's telling her to not herself to not be scared because she knows she's gonna be transformed into this new life form it's not necessarily bad or good it's just what it takes to survive and i'm thinking she went to the ocean just because it seems like maybe this new life form exists best in the ocean. Because mm-hmm. um, once we see Randall change, and also yeah. Jane, they seem to be having a hard time Yeah, everybody's existing. crawling. Yeah. Everybody's like tadpoles, yeah. almost. And they're gasping for... I mean, everyone's gasping for air because the air has been contaminated. So mm-hmm. even if you're not infected, it seems like you're gasping. But the ones that are fully changed seem to be almost like sea creatures yeah. in air. Yeah, I, I get the sense that that's correct, that um, these are sea-based creatures. And, mm-hmm. and that's, you know, where their natural environment is. And mm-hmm. to the point where that's where they should be surviving. Like, all these things are probably, you know, all these changed bodies on land are eventually going to die, right? Like, yeah. just be uh, husks or whatever. Um, but I, I think we're in the same direction where yeah, yeah. she is 
embracing well embracing in some way whether it's embracing it to uh in a natural reality where she crawled to the beach or in my opinion right, right. i don't it doesn't it doesn't matter yeah, but doesn't i think matter. she crawled to the beach or not yeah. i think you know, her spirit right, quote right, unquote, right. is ready for right. the next stage and yeah and you could see the ocean as like this new life form taking her covering her and taking her yeah. over right but you know what i think maybe you're right because before when she finally becomes evolved or mm-hmm. or starts to be infected she ends up in this um like p- pond let's say yeah and i think there is a moment of revelation where she hmm. feels like good about it so maybe <laughs> that's you know that yeah is uh the transition between her feeling good about it and then the next scene we see her on the beach yeah taken by the beach but then again the only thing is that she like doesn't kind of get washed away yeah, the beach. she, she like disappears. disappears so that's yeah. what made me think it's uh, sure more of a I think fever could, dream i think it could work both ways yeah. and also there's a line earlier in the movie too where she says how every organism needs water or something but yeah i thought this was all interesting it made me ask this question too so it's definitely an eco horror film so it's looking at this in it's, it's sort of an environmental revenge film or like a nature revenge in some mm, ways. I think revenge is pretty harsh is a pretty harsh well, way to put it. Yeah, it's so I don't think it fits in that genre. So it definitely yeah. fits in that genre of nature revenge, I think. But I also think it's doing something very different in that it's not giving agency to nature. It's just mm-hmm. saying this is what's naturally happening. It's chaos and, you know, figure it out. (laughs) You better evolve. Which I really like because most nature revenge movies are in that way where they give nature some sort of malice or agency. And and that's, you know, the wrong way to to look at nature, I think. I mean, Um, I completely agree. But that's why I said it's not really revenge because it implies like malice and sentience where this is more. It's not even like, you know, when we say forces of nature either like a tornado mm-hmm. because there's still like a bit of malice yes. in that this is truly just especially the way she frames it at the end emily frames it at the end just like evolution mm-hmm. like it's just this is the way it is yeah i think that's important because a lot of so i'm currently just to disclose why this is on my mind currently writing a dissertation chapter on eco horror eco gothic and a lot of eco-gothic scholars seem to believe, and I agree with them, that the whole way we talk as humans, we talk about, especially in America, we talk about forces forces of nature, quote-unquote, is always give it always gives this sort of vengeful, mm-hmm. almost evil agency to mm-hmm. nature, um, like a monster tornado, and, and yeah, forces of nature, nature revenge. But even even in terms that have nothing to do with horror films, it seems like we constantly ascribe this sort of vengeful agency to right. nature. And and a lot of eco-gothic scholars then go on to talk about why this is dangerous to have this ingrained in our minds, the way we view nature. Mm-hmm. It, it becomes almost like commonplace thinking to, to view nature in that way. But I think this movie is so exciting because it completely reverses that while still being a horror film. Yeah. Um, so it sort of shows and proves that you don't need to have this dangerous idea of nature as having a terrible agency to still be an effective horror movie so what's horrifying is not the contagion itself i think what's horrifying is the inevitability Mm -hmm. of of this happening yeah 
where yeah it is not this mount it's not like lovecraftian of this monster right. coming eventually coming out surfacing and then coming to get us in some sort of sentient revenge mm-hmm. it's just like this we're pushing towards this inevitability and it's going to happen to us and you know that's why emily is not a victim right at the end she is she quote unquote wins yeah because she understands all this that and she's part of the evolution but here's my question yeah um and i'm interested to hear what you think i don't even know what i think i don't know how i answer this question so i think it's getting a bit at at almost a uh some sort of eco horror uh revenge of nature like we were talking about but but in this very new way, and, and pr- in a better way, too, where it's just something that happens. It may be commentating on uh, commentating on climate in some way, and the way humans have damaged the Earth, but I don't even know if that's the case. I say that only because it's in the air. Um, but anyway, I don't even think that's right. But I personally did not catch any. But the, well, that. also the fact that human beings are being like killed off, that human beings are no longer sustainable uh, life forms on this planet, and you have to go on to something better, um, which would happen, right, if the climate completely changes and we're no longer able to to continue living. So some new life form has to be created to survive on this unstable, chaotic, boiling planet, as Emily describes it. That's why I was thinking of climate change, maybe. But so these these humans humans can no longer survive in this new world. Mm-hmm. Um, so, but Emily at the end seems, and so does Mitch. But Emily, more importantly, accepts this at the end and says, "Don't be scared. Don't be scared." Either spiritually or physically, walks herself to the ocean to just be embraced by this new life form, this new world that she's going to be in. So what I was thinking was that this is also pushing against this sort of anthropocentric thinking so placing humans at the center of all life saying that you know being human is the best thing possible and to be transformed into a new life form is horrifying Mm -hmm. but emily seems to think you know i i'm a little scared of the change but it's not something to run away from in fact it's something to embrace so she seems to be going against this anthropocentric way of of thinking saying Mm -hmm. you know being a human it was fine but it's not the only way to live so i accept this new thing and this whole discussion of the world before human beings um is 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 like almost innately terrifying like listening to that that stoned conversation about what the world was like before life sort of scary to listen to it was almost innately to think about a world with no life forms with no human mm-hmm. beings just me as an audience member and i was thinking a little bit about uh elizabeth parker who recently published this book called the forest and the eco gothic she breaks down um what uh nash talks about uh, he's this theorist about eco he's an eco-critical theorist he talks about the word wild the etymology of the word wild basically means the absence of human life. Mm-hmm. And that's why wilderness in general is sort of scary. And I think the ocean counts as a site of wilderness. Sure. Um, and this idea of the absence of humans being so scary, which was both in our past, as Emily discussed it before life, um, but now it's also in our present as human beings are being transformed into this new life form. So I think the film is 
part of its horror is coming from that concept of this we have to imagine this future or this present without human beings Mm -hmm. but then emily accepts this future completely and tells us don't be scared don't be scared it's fine Mm -hmm. so i wonder if this is this film arguing against an anthropocentric view of life or is it using that Oof, that's a lot for me sorry, to catch sorry. up on. I mean, I follow, but like, I don't sorry. have an answer. Either. I hope that wasn't uh, incoherent. I don't know. I don't think it was inco. Well, I don't know what your final conclusion is actually. I don't asking. know. It's so. I'm just asking: Are we as the audience? Are we supposed to be with Emily at the end? Where are are we with Emily saying it's fine if we if we can't be humans if if a world if this world can't have human beings anymore and it has to have a new life form, mm-hmm. that's fine. That's not scary. Or are we supposed to be watching this saying, oh, a world without human beings, the absence of humans, that's terrifying. So I actually want to bring it back to, from the movie's perspective. I, I don't think I... That's what I mean. Like the movie's perspective. What is it? Well, say, what is, what not, does it want? So not, not, well, not, not the movie's perspective, mm-hmm. but the character's perspective. Mm-hmm. Like I think... We're, I don't, I think the movie actually does a good job of not saying one way or the other, which is better, which is worse, right? Mm-hmm. Being anthro... Anthropocentric. Pocentric mm-hmm. or not. Mm-hmm. I think we're supposed to root for Emily. Okay. And whatever is making Emily happy and satisfied. Maybe not happy, but satiated. Sure. And so I think that would be anthropocentric mm-hmm. in that case sure but i don't think the movie's outwardly staying saying that we the audience need to be at her level we mm. just need to sympathize and empathize with her sure making her happy because you know i think the next closest person you could jump to is the older father mitch. figure mitch he is so he makes some interesting statements where he wants to you know cover his ears and not talk about like oh yeah like any of this yeah, yeah. right like, yeah he keeps saying like oh that's too thoughtful this for is me. too thoughtful i just want to be i'm a baseball call, coach. yeah i just want to coach my team and yeah. that's the end of it i'm mm-hmm. not a bad guy and mm-hmm. he isn't a bad guy no he's a thoughtful well not thoughtful in that way but he just like almost can't fathom yeah it's too scary to fathom all of that and he ends up embracing mm-hmm. he ends up being anti-pacentric <laughs> or yeah not anthropocentric or at yeah. least or I almost feel like though maybe when he goes in the ocean, it feels different. It feels more suicidal. suicidal. It feels more like another way for him to close his ears. But when Emily does it, it feels more like so she's was, welcoming this new way. I of was life. thinking that at first it was suicidal until you told me and brought it up in this conversation that like he probably knows his wife is infected. So I think he was. I thought he was trying to infect himself hmm. quickly. Yeah, and it could be that too. But then it's weird because then he's he's just gone when yeah. he does it. I, I go back. I go back. I do think he was just committing suicide. Yeah. I think that that was the case. And so, you know, I, what am I trying to say here? I really don't think the movie is trying to get us to believe it itself has a theme. Okay. <laughs> I think it's revolved around Emily. Yeah. And, and And that's it. But I think there's something innately terrifying as a human being watching this movie being made to consider, even in the past, a world devoid of life, devoid of human beings. Mm-hmm. And then this future, it forces you to think about a future world without human life too. And I think there's something just like essential 
essentially scary about that image. And it plants that in your head because of the conversations. Mm -hmm. But then at the end, our hero, Emily, says, you know what? That's fine. I I embrace this. And I think that's what's interesting, that it's creating horror from this, this concept, but then it tells you don't be scared of that concept. You know what, Caitlin? I'm just a baseball coach. Oh, sorry. <laughs> no, no, no. I hope oh, our uh, listeners don't hate this. <laughs> I I think... Because it, there's a knot in this movie that you, I think is really interesting. You know me enough to know that I'm pretty... Uh, have a pretty Taoist approach and, and go with the flow <laughs> kind of attitude. Sure. I would be with Emily. I'm yeah. just embracing it. And I don't think... I don't think, um, I think it is supposed to be scary, mm-hmm. but I think, you know, it is up to us to conquer that fear. Sure. Yeah. Not that it's, uh, you know, I hate to say this in the pandemic, that uh, not a viable fear oh <laughs> to have that, that would be wiped out. <laughs> we do what we can. And when it comes to that point in time where we can't do any more, mm-hmm. then what's the point of being scared? Sure. That's how sure, I, I guess. feel. That's how Emily feels, in my opinion. So, I don't think the movie is trying to say one thing right. or another. Then I think that's pretty similar to Mitch's reaction, in my mind. It's just sort of like, yeah. Yeah. My, my <laughs> Go wife to the died. Ocean. <laughs> you know, things are getting weird. So, good- goodbye. <laughs> yeah. Goodbye. Goodbye. Then, let's, let's take a break from this headiness. And I really think we need to talk about that scene. Yeah. Yes. So, why don't you set the scene and describe it, pretty much. All right. So, she... After Mitch, actually, this is pretty perfect. Right after Mitch walks into the ocean, um, she, right, is this when this happens? Mm-hmm. I think so. Yeah, she walks down to the ocean herself, calling Mitch, Mitch, and she mm-hmm. sees him disappear. And then she realizes she stepped in something and it looks like a bunch of flesh. Yeah, it's like, um, I would describe it as, it's not quite, it, it definitely looks extraterrestrial or, or just like. Um, yeah, it's like jello-y. Yeah, like a beached squid type. Yeah figure uh but less fully formed than a squid yeah so like a jellyfish squid but very lovecraftian looking yeah yeah it's like if you put a jellyfish or squid in a like a what's the thing in star trek to make them like oh like a transporter like a beam Yeah. yeah and it worked wrong and you got a squid all mangled up this yeah. is what it would look like. Yeah, like a homunculus or something like that. <laughs> so she steps in it and then she looks down at, or she like has to wipe it off her foot and she sees like blood and she sees that her foot has been cut by this thing. Um, and then she sees, horror of all horrors, there's a worm in her foot. And it's a big old hole big at the worm. bottom of her foot, a huge worm. Huge gaping hole and it's almost like a garden snake <laughs> worm. And it's slithering inside this gaping wound i hate it and it just looks you know it's not we can't we're not going to be able to describe no. how terrifying you it just looks. gotta watch it and feel it that that whatever they did there to design that like made it look terrifying and it was never, a huge hole in yeah. her foot i it, can't, oh it was never as terrifying after that though even though she, there's, i disagree well, there was it was almost cute where she ends no. up she crawls back into the house into the kitchen and, and 
uh, is able to disinfect it, but also... <gasps> and she screams out in pain as she's yeah. disinfecting. And she has to take out the worm. Mm-hmm. But I don't know. At that point, it seemed like... I don't know if we missed saw it the first time, but it sounds like we felt, saw the same thing. But it didn't seem like a gaping hole at that point. Yeah. Looked, well, I think what was happening was her foot was somehow sealing itself up so that oh. the worm was more in there. I think something weird was happening with her biology i think it's all part of that like creating gotcha. a new life form thing i think it was sealing okay. itself up but that it. made it less terrifying because it was less more like uh, pulling out a <laughs> blackhead but uh, it was so long Matt. and the way oh the way it was filmed was very gross yeah. and i felt it in in my body yeah it was definitely watching. shivering yeah but i'm I would, shivering as we talk about it right now i would i would say that you know easily top three most horrifying moments when we saw the gaping hole with the yes. worm inside that was the grossest but part the kitchen it. scene far far less horrifying still horrifying far less so like maybe not even in my top 10 i agree but i was still shivering at that point and grossed out by it but i yeah, feel like i, I was agree. only shivering because of what we remember what we saw sure. and i liked too that um after she sees this gaping hole in her foot with a worm in it down at the beach they had the shot of the the stairs she had to climb up, yeah. and they did that thing where it like like a hallway sort of stretches out a little yeah. bit. Like she looks up and it's like whoa, a long set of stairs, and then um, already she's sort of um, changing, I guess. Even though she's not actually evolving and changing into this new life form, she's becoming similar to these people who are changing because she has a hard time walking, but yeah. it's really just because of this foot, which. That was pretty interesting. She fights it, actually. She fights yeah. it better off than anybody else for a while. Yeah. Ugh. I don't... Like, it, I truly don't want to ever watch that scene again. <laughs> like, not even... Yeah. Well. It was bad. Well, good, but bad. No, congrats for that movie. For, I know. For doing that. And, like, again, all this is juxtaposed to this very serene-ish movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, and be- And it is beautiful. Yeah. And it doesn't even, like, make this a moment. It's not like there's a big glaring, like, wah, when yeah, they show no, the no, worm. No. It was just she turns just her there. foot and it's there. Ugh. Yeah. Ugh. And, um... Very effective. So, last thing I really wanted to cover, you sort of bring up how serene this whole film is. I think just the aesthetic of this movie is worth talking about. So, it does... I do like how it, like you brought up before, how midsummery it is it's mm-hmm. it's a bright summer beach house but it still feels from the very beginning just feels very gloomy somehow even though it is sunny yeah um and then the 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 things coming out of the ocean themselves are glow in the dark so we have this really cool night scene mm-hmm. where everything is glowy and very pretty but apparently very dangerous and then um once she changes. I think that's where the change happens, right? Or does it happen before? The film changes the way it, it looks. Yeah, once... At um, a certain point. It becomes very neon. Once it becomes night and... I wouldn't say neon. It's just more like... Uh, well, it almost like every something's burning in the background at all times. Like yeah. there's flames in the background. I guess so. And there's a lot of pink shades. Yeah. Um, and someone on Twitter, I forget who it was, but someone I follow on Twitter mentioned one time how pink is often used by directors especially in horror films to signify like danger Mm. and and i was thinking too it fits with this biologist perspective too that like animals will sometimes have these crazy colors to signify toxicity or danger yeah so 
I think there's something very innate in the way that the colors change at the end of this movie. No, I, I agree. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I, I don't know. Towards the end there, too, that didn't work for me as much as Color Out of Space did. Sure. Um, just because I think Color Out of Space really went all out with that. Yeah. And this one was still, even with the changes in color, was still a little bit subdued. Yeah. Um, but I wish it went a little bit more, but I think, you know, it was a little different because everything was really foggy. So they needed to make mm-hmm. everything foggy so <laughs> things weren't kind of vibrant and clear. Yeah. Maybe that's... is. Was it foggy from the very beginning? Maybe that's why it felt... The fog rode in and out. That's true, that's true, that's true. But then towards the end of the movie, it was kind of like universally foggy right. throughout. Yeah. So... Interesting. Yeah, that's, that's when her boyfriend started, Cinder Randall. So I think that's all I have. Yeah. Is there anything you, else you wanted to talk about? No, not really. Um, for all the compliments we're giving, I, I still think it's pretty narrow in scope. And also, it's to an extent the depth of it. So, you know, I don't think this is a going to be a truly mind blowing movie with a lot to dig out from. No. Yeah. So I think we yeah we did. That's just all to say we did a good job covering it. <laughs> and you know what? Since since we usually end on a final review, that's kind of mine. Okay. Um, uh, the only thing I want to add is I I really do think it is doing something a little special with the subdued. Again, using this term, low mm-hmm. flame dread mm-hmm. it builds. I think I do want to make sure to point out, too, I think good acting from everybody. Yeah. Well, you know, Jane doesn't have much to do, but still. Well, she's, she was sort of sad, I thought. Yeah. Like, she, every, she, she did a really good job of just being, like, sad but doing her best to be happy. Mm-hmm. So out of my ratings, let's do it out of footworms. Ooh. <laughs> Oof, I don't know. Yeah, I didn't. I feel like zero footworms is the best. I oh, should be the best. <laughs> but out of ten footworms, I'll give this a seven point two footworms. I think I am gonna agree pretty much with you. Um, I really liked it. I think. I think the difference. I think what you're saying, like the, there's not that much depth i think it's all sort of on the surface mm-hmm. i think that's that's the thing of this movie uh, it doesn't give everything but it, it 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 is there but you still have to think a little bit about it mm-hmm. like i said before i think it shows the symptoms of a lot of what's going on without being explicit about the cause and i think that's the case not just with the relationship but with everything that happens in this movie it's showing us the symptoms and you need to do a little bit of work to figure out the cause. But yeah, it's not like a metaphorical yeah. philosophy film or, or I don't know. Not as impactful too as like Midsummer or sure. even Color Out of Space in my opinion. Not, uh, not, well, Color Out of Space is more of a fun Col- ride. I think it's similar to Color Out of Space, but yeah. maybe a little more serious than Color Out of Space. Because yeah. we don't have Nicolas Cage trying to milk. What did he milk? I don't, I don't like know. Like an emu or something? Yeah. It's definitely more morose. And Colorado <laughs> Space, I think, it's not that it's deeper, but uh, it was more about being on the ride Yeah. for it, where this movie is not necessarily that. So I think it had that going for it. I'm just saying that I prefer Colorado Space sure. a little bit more. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I still thought this was really good. I'm excited to see what else this director does. Yeah. Um, definitely good directorial debut. first acting. Or first... Uh, first directorial debut yes debut. <laughs> their first debut their debut 
Um, so yeah, I'm gonna give it an eight out of 10 footworms. Hey, I very much enjoyed it. And again, the footworm scene definitely gets a star of its own hmm. or a footworm of its own. Absolutely worth checking out if you're into anything Lovecraftian, anything eco-gothic eco and, uh, you know, uh, body horror too. Yes. So. Yeah, it covers a lot of ground. Yep. So I am glad to be back. Me too. And glad we covered this episode. So thank you everybody for listening and hope you join us for our future episodes. Yes. Yeah, see you there. Goodbye. Bye.